Revolution Laundry. The self-service 18kg Revolution Laundry machine can wash and dry your bedding, curtains, outdoor furniture, throws, car covers or mats for as little as €10. We are located all across Ireland in mainly large supermarkets and forecourts. Find your nearest Revolution Laundry machine on our website www.revolutionlaundry.ie Don't miss out on our Facebook giveaway to win a week worth of free washing. Revolution Laundry is partnered with Tesco, Circle K, Supervalue, Apple Green and independent sites. Our machines are for domestic use only. The Business Hour podcast is kindly sponsored by photo-me.ie Hi, Jim McCausland here, presenter of the Business R Show on Ross FM. Just dropping by to let you know the Business R Show airs every Thursday from 5pm to 6pm on Ross FM 94.6. To listen in, visit rossfm.ie forward slash live or download my weekly podcast from anchor.fm forward slash the Business R Show. Text your questions and comments to 083-85-99748 or info at rossfm.ie. The Business R Show, supporting local and international business through local radio. Hello and welcome to the Business Show on Ross FM with me, Jim McCausland. Today I'm delighted to be joined in studio by Ivan Connaughton of Connaughton Auctioneers, Main Street, Athlete. Hi Ivan and welcome to the show today. Thanks very much, Jim. Thanks for asking me in. Ivan, before we start talking about uh, your auctioneering business and political career, uh, we can't leave that out, um, I just want to take a few moments to talk to you about your early life. Can you tell us a wee bit about where you were born and raised? Yeah, I suppose I was born in Athlete Village, uh, raised in Athlete Village, and I say it takes a, a village to, uh, to rear a child. You know, grew up and uh, very good, uh, happy, I suppose, early life myself. Uh, played hurling on the streets of Athlete with my brothers and neighbours. I suppose before the village and there was less traffic on the road, going back maybe around 1990 that time, and uh, big change village than it is now, but, you know, a very happy childhood different than it is now and I suppose generations before us will say a different when they grew up themselves yeah. but a very happy childhood and you went to school in Athlete did you yeah Athlete National School yeah. and uh, on then afterwards to Roscommon CBS and then obviously into college afterwards in Limerick but uh, you know it's very happy childhood memories I suppose one thing that was always in the area was farming and uh, particular and hurling the two things that really yeah. still to this day two things that are very close to my to my heart yeah. Uh, Ivan, how would you describe your childhood and teenage years? Um, I suppose uh, playing hurling, as I said, and yeah. farming and going to uh, marts all around the west of Ireland. My own father is a sheep dealer for many years, so I got a good education going out meeting the farmers throughout all the west of Ireland. It was a good education and a good grounding, really, uh, for myself. And really, it stood to me as I grew into my teens and into my years of early adulthood, and I suppose really it, it, it set me in train for life in the profession that I that I went into in auctioneering. And, uh, you know, it's uh, when you look at things, we went down to the local river in that league and the river suck and we swam for all of the summer months and uh, we suppose hung around the village as you do, as young people do. And, you know, it's, it's, it was a very happy childhood and something that we look back uh, very uh, positively in them years. 
when you think back on your parents and that, what were some of the best lessons that you learned from them growing up? I suppose my own mother was always there. She was a homemaker. She went out uh, when we were reared. Or I was the youngest. And when I was possibly 12 or 13, she went out into part-time work where there was uh, where Tom O'Brien was mushroom uh, picking mushrooms and many other ladies uh, of herself and my friends, some of their mothers went out picking mushrooms when we were at an age where they knew they could go out. But they were the homemaker. My father was out, I suppose, farming. He was the, the breadwinner, really. But, you know, it's it's amazing the, where, where the different qualities were. One, where you're out meeting people with your father and the other side, where my mother came from a very large family uh, themselves uh, in from Clover Hill. You know, she passed away uh, there last year. And uh, the really, you know, you took to respect people, to look after people, to look out for your neighbours. And that's the, the early childhood memories I have. And that's something I like to continue on. And I think it's something that's very important for the present and future generations. Maybe take time out of a very busy work schedule at times. Just to realise, look out for others around you that mightn't be as... You know, th- there might be vulnerable or there might be elderly people that might need something done. And just to take time to reflect, I think that's very important, yeah. really. That and something I take from my from my to get that from balance my parents, in life. To get that balance from life, yeah. And you know, you are when you see when you're growing up and you're in your uh, growing up every day. You, you look to see what your parents are, and that's the way it is. In I, I believe in many families, and you aspire, you know, to be equally as good, if not better, than they are. And hopefully, we can carry that on for the next generation. Yeah. So how did you how did you come to get into auctioneering? How how did that come about? Um, I suppose it was a, a famous man, uh, teacher in Roscommon, uh, uh, CBS, and Mick Fahey. He was our career guidance teacher uh, in um, fifth and sixth year. And I suppose you're at a vulnerable age. You know what do I do for the rest of my life? I was very much interested in farming and agriculture. Still am. And I probably thought I'd go down the route of going to the Agriculture College in Montpellier or do agribusiness maybe in Galway IT. And uh, I said to myself, what do I do? And McFahey said uh, to me, he says, uh, you'll be an auctioneer. He says, "It's I know you have the way about you. He says, you've got the education from being in the marts and meeting the farmers and all. He says, I think you should go down that route. So I put it in my CEO form, rather easily put it on the CEO form yeah. and uh, got the offer when... My leave insert uh, got the results and got the offer of um, and to go for a straight honours degree course in Limerick IT. Probably wouldn't have done it only for McFahey. Yeah. So he's the reason really why I entered that profession. Great stuff. Your early jobs, was that one of your first things going into auctioneering or did you have jobs before you set up the auctioneer? No. Um, um, what I done was, well, after when I went into college, mm-hmm. um, I got a very good education in that I, we had a placement year in year three. So I got placement in Roscommon County Council's planning department and I worked with uh, Nullig Feeney and she was the heritage officer and I got a great education and knowledge of all um, the protected structures uh, around all of County Roscommon. And then when I um, finished up in college with my honours degree, I started working immediately with uh, a very renowned auctioneer who has uh, recently stood back with John Early. So I worked with John Early for over three years. Uh, that was an excellent education to get. John is the leading auctioneer in Roscommon and indeed in the west of Ireland. He's taken a step back recently himself and his wife Helen. I'd like to wish them all the best. Uh, they're still uh, keeping an involvement uh, as a consultancy in, in their business uh, for those who, who took it over. But I have to say John was an excellent educator in the property and really uh, what I learned in my time there has stood to me in my own business. Ivan, in 2004, you received an excellence award for your dissertation you did on protected structures. 
why did you choose that as a field of study? Well, I had done my placement in Roscommon County Council mm-hmm. in Nullifini with the protective structures. And I was amazed with all the historical and, the, you know, particularly the beauty of, particularly North Roscommon, mm-hmm. where there's a huge amount of country houses and many protective structures of huge significance. Um, I compiled the list of protective structures in 2002. Uh, I assisted Nullig uh, in that um when, when they were being done for the first time, they're now part of the Roscommon County Council's um, the county development plan, uh, the protective structures, many of the properties we visited at that time. And uh, really, it gave me a great knowledge of it, got a great education. So I used uh, w- went on that topic for my dissertation or my thesis, and I got an award for excellence from the Soci- Society of Chartered Surveyors, of which yeah. I'm affiliate since. Mm-hmm. Do you think that there's more legislation needed to protect buildings? Uh, from demolition and uh, especially protected structures. I suppose what's needed more so is grants really to assist the owners of their properties. Uh, there has been very limited grants um, being made available to the Heritage Department or Scammon County Council. You're talking 30 or 40,000 euros per year for all of the list of county or Scammon. Wow. While it does go to some assistance, you know, it takes a huge amount mm-hmm. of work you know, for the upkeep of them properties. And since I was at them list, doing the compiling of that list nearly 20 years ago, I've seen loads of them properties really going into, you know, further deteriorating into ruins. Unfortunate to see. And mm. they're at a stage now, I feel sorry for many of the owners of them properties because obviously they don't have the financial background, many of them, to, to, to carry out them essential works and maintenance. And the situation now is really many of them buildings are at a stage where they're they're an eyesore number one in many cases, mm-hmm. uh, but they're, they're yes they're important for the I suppose the times gone past that we bring them and we maintain them and bring them for the next generation to see, yeah. but a lot of them are gone to a dangerous stage where there's insurance issues for and there's many young children around them properties now. You know, they're a danger. So it's a precarious situation, really, in that the funding wasn't provided in time to keep them to a certain standard. And uh, it's it's, it's not an easy task for the owners of them properties now to have them as a protected status with very little funding that has been provided and say to them, here, you have to to maintain them -hmm. properties. It hasn't been fair really up to date. 40,000 euro wouldn't be enough to maintain one of the properties. It wouldn't. <laughs> it's, no. that's, it's crazy that that is the allocation for the whole county. And I find it very, a very interesting subject too because it's multi-pronged. If you look at it from one side, it's about the history and heritage, uh, preserving the history and heritage of the county. But in another way too, it's about maintaining things that have a purpose in attracting tourism in a lot of instances into the county and all that and by not funding these things you you could lose a bit of our history and heritage but you could lose our tourism market where people would come and see these kind of structures or see what had happened here the history of what had happened and how this house came to be built or whatever Yes, and I suppose it's not just to protect the structure. The, the definition uh, is their uh, cartilage as well, which could incur walled gardens that could be part of an estate. Yeah. You know, and that has been a huge burden to them property owners if they had a son or daughter wanting to build on that farm, say. And, you know, the protective status does come into it when it comes to planning, mm-hmm. but there's little or no supports uh, in place. And you're right on that. There's a huge amount of, you know, historical significance and you see the books that have been uh, wrote one previous one and there's an, uh, by Paul Connolly and the second one to come out about all the fantastic buildings 
uh, of country homes and all the properties in of County Roscommon and the estates going back generations and generations and the history attached to them. It's a huge amount of people with an interest in that. So it's something really that needs to be looked at with further supports. But unfortunately, when it hasn't been done to date, you know, if it's not done fairly soon, a lot yeah. of them properties are going to further deteriorate. Beyond the, the point of uh, being able to to salvage them, I suppose. Yes, and many have gone to that stage already, mm-hmm. you know, and the, the owners are questioning why their protected status, particularly when the county development plan is up for review at the moment. Yeah. You know, many of them are saying, why would the protected status remain on the properties when they're gone beyond any uh, saving them, really? Correct, yeah. yeah. It's nearly gone to the stage, you know, when they brought in in the 1960s or 1970s, when they brought in the tax uh, in relation to how many windows in, in, yeah. in the houses, and you see the likes of out the road here, you know, the fine moat park house that all the, that were demolished at the time. Mm-hmm. You know, that was a crying shame. It's nearly going to a stage now in years to come where they'll say they didn't right. provide the funding. Even the funding, there's the huge amount of works. It's not just your normal construction works for a protected structure. You know, there mm-hmm. could be lime rendering required. There's um, specialists needed. Let it be roofs or let it be whatever. There's, it's not just going in getting your builder in. Uh, any of the people that own these properties, many of whom, you know, they've carried out extensive amount of works that costs extra because you have to get the specialists in from some part of Ireland or the UK to carry out the works, the, um, the maintenance work. So it's mm-hmm. in saying that, you know, Nully Feeney that's in the council has done excellent work or Nully McKeown as we knew her back then, she's done excellent work in her capacity and she's done as much as she has uh, as possibly could, yeah. you know, with the funding that's been in place. Mm-hmm. Um, Ivan, the world of auctioneering has changed over the decades and regulation is now more stringent than ever. Can you tell us about some of the registration requirements for auctioneers? Yeah, well, we're regulated um, Mm. since um, 2014 uh, from the Property Services Regulatory Authority. So there's a list there of all uh, auctioneers and it was very welcoming, particularly if you go back to the Celtic Tiger years and the bang that came in 2007, 2008, you know, any person could uh, apply for a license back then. And uh, the regulation that's in place now is, I, I fully believe it's been very good for the industry yeah. uh, because you have to have, uh, to become a, an auctioneer now, you have to have the relevant qualifications, uh, go to college or, or historically have worked pre-2012 uh, in the industry for a period of three years or more. Mm-hmm. So that's very welcoming there and, and you'll see plenty of advertisements in the local radios and also in the local media, you know, telling the people to check if you're looking for a property service provider, yeah. if you're either buying or selling or you're renting a house or requiring evaluation, you know, that the person that the auctioneer is registered and on the list. Because in the event of, you know, of, of a comeback for any person who wants to make a complaint or wants to follow up, that's the regulatory side uh, of the independent body that are there, you know, to represent the consumer and also to represent us as auctioneers as well. Do you know if we have any complaints or any issues in so far as not that there would be in any any reason for it yeah. that we have something to fall back on as well but we also have representative bodies as well in the IPAV um, Institute of Professional Auctioneers and Valuers and the Society of Charters of Ayers Ireland particularly IPAV uh, very very good effective CEO uh, Pat uh, Davitt that would lobby on behalf you know let it be coming up to uh, the annual budget nationally you know, lobby on behalf of auctioneers to see really what is in stamp duty or any other ways of maybe bringing more properties into the market. Or really, it's a representative body. They're very effective uh, for us as, as a group of auctioneers. Welcome back. I'm joined in studio today by Ivan Connaughton of Connaughton Auctioneers, Main Street Athlete. Ivan, when it comes to younger generations, 
Do you think that they're being unfairly priced out of owning a home? Uh, I suppose the last number of months and after COVID, you know, you see there, and I looked at it myself, and after every pandemic uh, in worldwide, even going back to the 1800s, there was always an increase in property prices after. Yeah. I suppose if you look at it, yes, now um, it, it, that would be the case. They are priced out of it in many cases. Uh, I suppose one thing COVID done was it gave the opportunity to a lot of young people you know, the word and going on holidays, the word and going out, maybe socialising, going for the meal uh, yeah. or going for drinking, and they're able to get some money together. You know, they're probably in a better position now than ever they were uh, to get finance to purchase a house. But unfortunately, it's gone out of the reach of many. Mm-hmm. And I see that in, on a weekly basis, particularly when we have final offers and properties and you might have seven or eight or ten people interested in one property uh, and only one person can get it. So the other nine are, are, are there for the next property coming on if it suits. Mm-hmm. But you go back to the Celtic Tiger and, you know, the, the whole thing that the property crashed in 2008. You know, we I houses they were selling in 2010, you probably couldn't give them away. And it's gone, some of them have doubled in prices and, and maybe tripled in prices for the smaller end properties uh, going back, and, and that's only in a 10-year period. So really, you know, the, the people that bought that time that were lucky enough with that public sector jobs or they had finance or that someone, mm-hmm. if they were looking enough at a family member, maybe in the bank of mum and dad at the time, yeah. uh, came in, uh, you know, they probably got in way below. So, you yeah. know, the, the argument could be said from some people saying, well, some got in too cheap and now some can't get in at all and some got in, you know, there's no uh, level playing field really when it comes to the property market. It, it's a supply and demand issue. And when you look at here in, we're in Roscommon Town, there's no uh, houses that's going to be built here mm-hmm. uh, in the next you know, three or four years uh, that will be available for first-time buyers. I see that's been a problem and yeah. it's something that maybe should have been tackled years ago. So that's something that should be ad- be addressed now. But if you look at a builder, if he used to go building houses with cost of materials and with the VAT and all the different taxes that are involved in the process of, of, of building a house, uh, it's not viable for them to build here. So that's the viability you know, for the construction of houses. Uh, for let it be a builder or developer to do that and that's the person really that it has to be a builder developer led mm-hmm. for the first time buyers to, to make houses available for them you know that's something that's not happening yes you see houses being built in Athlone but there'll be houses built in Roscommon town before you'll see them built in many villages or even towns in the mid or, or in the north of the county mm-hmm. uh, that's just the way it is and uh, I don't see anything improving in the short term I always think that regardless of what type of business, I always think that business is cyclical, that it all comes round and it just keeps going round in a circle. Good times, bad, not so good times, terrible times and back around again. Uh, but I also think that that kind of applies to the housing market. Uh, now, I know we've, we've always had challenges with housing in Ireland and all that there, but I get the feeling, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I get the feeling that we're, we're heading for another bubble in housing prices and I think uh, if we have learnt from anything from the past bubbles eventually burst at so are we are we in that cyclical kind of environment where house prices are being overinflated and at some stage you're going to see the drop again yeah well I set up in 2007 auctioneering mm-hmm. it the bank came in 2008 so I, I, I seen every yeah. side of it really I, when I worked in, in with John Early say in the years of 2004 to 2000 and into 2006 you know there was one uh, day when we went down to Ruski we sold 35 houses off plans in two and a half hours and all them sales went through at that time and like that was the way it was in 2005 and then when the bank came in 2008 
there was a huge amount of surplus of houses unfinished, you know, houses that just for one reason or another caught up with financial institutions or near completion and all of the rest. And there was a huge amount of surplus of houses back then where there was, I suppose, the market wasn't as strong. But now there is an increase in, there's a shortage of supply and an increase in purchasers and people interested, particularly now people come back from the UK, come back from Australia with links to an area. And also people that are relocating, let's say somebody sold a house in Dublin tomorrow morning at five or six hundred thousand and they had three or four hundred thousand to spare. They're coming down competing with the first time buyers yes. and people that are from this area. It's unfortunate, but that's what's, after, that's yeah. what's happening. So you, you talk about bubbles, and but there's, it, there was a, a banking crisis you know, a financial crisis back in 2008, you know, when the Lehman Brothers and it transpired mm-hmm. all the way down to every country road in, in Ireland and indeed all around the world. Uh, but there seems to be none of that at the moment. So it's mm-hmm. not going to be a banking or financial crisis that, do, crisis that does it. Uh, so there's an increase in population. Mm-hmm. As we've seen, the, Ireland has increased population for the first time over 5 million uh, since the famine time so when you have all of that in, in increase in population they have to live someplace but as I uh, as I've said to many people I've spoke to you have a huge amount of landlords that were in the market for a lot of years now they see it's an opportunity to sell their property because is at a stage maybe they want to retire mm-hmm. they want a few quid or maybe want to pay down a loan on their own personal house or maybe sell a house to give uh, money to a, a son or daughter buying particularly maybe up in Dublin where it's more challenging, uh, but prices gone through the roof. But the situation is they're given notice to tenants and them houses. And as we mentioned previously, there's a shortage of rental properties. I think that's going to exacerbate, and I don't want to put the frighteners out there today, but they're the facts that are there. Yeah. So there's going to, there's a huge amount of crisis going to happen, particularly for people that can purchase, have to rent can't rent because there's no houses and we've seen the escalating prices in the rental market particularly here in Roscommon town as well so it's a, it's it's while there there's uncertainty in some regards in mm-hmm. relation to house prices and the increases but if there's a shortage of supply and increase in demand you know that's going to remain there yeah. and even if there's a financial crisis there's going to be a certain amount of people with the funds in place that are there available to mm-hmm. purchase the house without requiring a financial assistance from uh, from a bank so th- th- that's going to remain particularly for the tw- next 12 to 24 months now i know this is a kind of crude figures thrown out here but and correct me if i'm wrong on this say you're renting out a house for a thousand euro a month at uh you're not a company you're in a private individual you're har- renting out a house for a thousand a month you're pr- paying tax at what 50 percent yeah that's you're down to 500 at you need to put a wee buffer of 200 maybe 300 euro aside per month in order for maintenance and repairs now it won't cost you 300 every month but if a boiler goes or if something goes you're going to need to have a wee kitty to dip into so there you're down to 300 euro you're down to yeah you're down to 200 euro that's not a lot if you're renting a house for a thousand euro you're coming. You could be coming out with two hundred euro a month. Yeah, I mean, you'll have the taxation. You, you know, you'll have you have to insure the property as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you'll have if something goes wrong, as you say, with washing machine or mm-hmm. you know, it all have to be all that has to be taken into consideration, uh, as you've mentioned. But uh, all the figures will come off the the gross net uh, rent, and then the taxation will come. They'll be able to get the tax efficient on the costings, mm-hmm. so that will come down. But you're right, and that's why I was saying is the net. 
uh, benefit if they reduce down that taxation. And I think they'll need to look at it um, fairly soon because if they brought that down even to 20% or 10%, particularly even to 20%, it would be a huge uh, incentive for landlords to remain in the game and remain and to leave the property rented and not have another person that's renting that getting their notice for vacant possession because they're selling the property and they have requiring another property that isn't there at the moment. Yeah. And if if this escalates and this trend continues with landlords uh, looking seeking vacant possession to sell the property, uh, ma- in many cases as landlords as well that are properties that they will not rent out, they mm-hmm. leave them vacant because it's not worth their while when they've all the tax paid. Yeah, the, yeah. And, and the hassle, and, the hassle. Of it, and maybe get a tenant that mightn't mind the house as they would like. Mm. So if they see um, not just the existing tenants or existing yeah of tenancies, if landlords uh, seen that there was a taxation that was more favourable, it might bring more properties back into the market uh, for rental. Because mm. you remember a number of years ago there was a report done in County Roscommon and there was five thousand vacant properties in County Roscommon as of that time. Yeah. So if they brought uh, an incentive for let it be for sale or for rental to bring them properties into play for some sort of incentive yeah. uh, we'd have no housing crisis in this country at all and that's where Scammon only a small uh-huh. county with 5,000 maybe some of them have been sold or rented since I can assure you there's an excess of 4,000 yeah. vacant residential units in County Roscommon for one reason or another at this present time But if you looked at the ripple effect of being able to rent out those that's extra people using local shops that's extra people going out and spend money in the local economy. The ripple effect of bringing that their stock into the housing market at, is massive for a town like Roscommon. It is. And the national policy, and I've seen it for a number of years, was to bring everyone into the towns and villages and try and, I suppose, prohibit or make it difficult for people to live in the countryside. Mm. And uh, really, COVID has changed around all of that. People want to get out of urban areas, get back yeah. into the countryside. And you see if a property comes to market, I see it in many cases, you people come from the UK, from Dublin, you have a huge mm-hmm. variant of people that are coming different backgrounds and different coming from different locations interested in that property. But yes, it's huge for the local yeah. town. But what keeps the local town like Roscommon going is the villages surrounding it. And or the catchment area, go downtown Roscommon any day, you wouldn't know one in five people because yeah. you have the free parking, you have a huge amount of incentives, you have, you have additional parking in around and when the town centre is complete, it'll be welcome news, I'm sure, for many yeah. businesses and locals as well. But the, let's say the availability of broadband is key, particularly for rural areas. And you see the fibre broadband, fibre broadband being rolled out now. That's a huge... first question that's asked of me when I'm showing a property, what's the connection here, what's the broadband connection? Fibre is obviously the one they're all looking for and it's, mm-hmm. there's a huge amount of the good work like that happening, particularly for rural Ireland and outside of the rural, to keep the rural village going, needs the houses or the areas, hinterland around it mm-hmm. and everything is of benefit but there's a huge push for people to move out of cities and towns out into the rural areas, particularly because they can work from home. Ivan, regarding your location of your business, do you think you got the upper hand compared to auctioneers located in Roscommon Town by having immediate competition on your doorstep. So I suppose what I'm saying is that by being just outside the town, you're out, you're um, the only auctioneer in the league, am I right? Yeah, yeah. that's right. After, you're the only auctioneer in the league. whereas you come into the town, there's quite a few auctioneers in the town. Was that a strategy of yours? Well, I suppose I, I, I get my good fair share in the town as well, I suppose yeah. people are. But the way it's gone, the whole auctioneering game has gone. At League Village, 
is very popular. You know, we've very lot of businesses there, successful businesses, a lot of uh, flow of traffic through it. And um, the parking, there's town and country and the restaurant, Le Petit Tartes beside, we'll give them all a mention. Yeah. And, you know, at least has really come on as, as a village. And the way the whole thing has gone with auctioneering, it, it doesn't matter where you're located, really. I could work out of the boot of a car, <laughs> you know, because if yeah. the way things have gone with air codes and if somebody is selling a property, you can meet them at the property. If someone buys a property now, we had a case last week where we sale agreed to property either the person selling or the person buying never stood in my office. Uh, they transferred the deposit done by electronic fund transfer. Sales notices sent out the same day out to the solicitors. Contracts were issued two days later for the sale. So yeah. there's no need really. It, you, yes, you need a base. It's very important to have a base. And, you know, it's there's over 5,000 uh, cars a day passing through at league. And I just see it that it's very easy for our clients that do have to come to the office because it's easy to park. You don't have to screen around, you know, Town Centre at League, is, is, it wouldn't be as busy. There's parking, they can go for a coffee if they want, if they're waiting for me. And also as well, you know, there's, um, there's um, it's a huge, as I say, huge footfall. But I cover into East Galway, I cover into South Roscommon, and it doesn't preclude me to go to other areas, but mm-hmm. particularly into the East Galway country, I'm, I'm only a mile from the Galway border and at League as well. Yeah. You touched upon technology and the use of Zoom and all that there. Um, I suppose one of the big changes for auctioneers and that is the use of drones now. Everyone seems to be using drones to take aerial photographs of properties. and uh, Is that something that you have went for yourselves? Yeah, I've done it myself. I uh, bought a drone years ago. And we also have a, a professional comes in as well that does the drone work for ourselves and also doing floor plans and doing walkthrough videos, professional photos. Mm-hmm. The whole things have changed since COVID. Uh, we've sold n- numerous houses to people that haven't seen them in person mm-hmm. because of the p- uh, quality of pictures of drone and floor plans, particularly people maybe as well that are living in Australia or America can't uh, come home. People from the, the county of Scammon and uh, the family members looking at a house on their behalf. So they find it very beneficial, the drone, to give them the idea of the property the nice quality pictures inside, the floor plan to show them the layout, the walkthrough videos are very important. We use all of them as marketing tools uh, for any property that we have for sale. We find it very good and it, it gives people an idea as well before they come to view a property, if it's, yeah. if they're interested. They could, they could exclude it to say it didn't suit if they didn't want a house beside it, if they wanted no house within a region. The drone pictures really show you know, what, what the whole area around it gives yeah. a better understanding of the property and really it has freed up time for ourselves because it's not wasting our time it's not wasting the time for the person selling or the person coming to buy really they can shortlist the properties that they want to view and the more information that you give them you can't give enough information to a purchaser the more you give you know and we often I often get people saying to me thanks very much for the quality of your brochure the quality of the information that you've provided uh, to when they're viewing the properties yeah Ross FM 94.6 your community radio station for all your job vacancy adverts have you got job vacancies you want to advertise for unbeatable prices then look no further than Ross FM 94.6 for your job vacancies which will be aired on the business hour show every Thursday between 5 and 6 p.m. Contact us today via email info at rossfm.ie to have your job vacancies on air. The job section on Ross FM 94.6 is kindly sponsored by PhotoMe. For all your self-service vending machines, why not check out photo-me.ie. 
That is www.auto-me.ie. Welcome back. I'm joined in studio today by Ivan Connaughton of Connaughton Auctioneers, AFLEG. Ivan, in 2014, you became a councillor. What was your reasoning on embarking on this journey into politics? I suppose I'm a community person. Um, I suppose I grew up in it. Politics yeah. was at the kitchen table. My own father was a county councillor for 15 mm-hmm. years. Maybe if he had entered politics earlier, he might have got to the national scene. He got in late in life. There was no opportunity really didn't yeah. come from till late. And he was probably pushed into it really from ma- uh, many people thought that he could be good for, for the area and outgoing suppose, person and outgoing personality. Yeah. And uh, I suppose watching uh, him, you know, in, in politics and being involved in all these campaigns, I was his director of elections. I was only 16 back in 1999. So he'd done 15 years there, and I suppose it was always spoke about uh, by many people that I'd follow in his footsteps. And I did do that. And even in 2011, while he was still a councillor, I contested uh, the general election for Fianna Fáil, really when Fianna Fáil weren't the flavour of the month after the economic crash in 2008. I stood to the fore. I thought it was an opportunity, really, to get a footing uh, for, for future general elections. And the opportunity came in 2014 then. And uh, as I always say, it was a community person always involved and interested in you know for what you can do for the f- uh, present and future generations really make our place our yeah. village or make our area make our county a better place really to live and and that's the really was my uh, ambition in politics so you followed in your dad's footsteps mm-hmm. in the po- uh, political scene your dad was also mayor for ross common wasn't he yeah and i followed after I, was, I got in as he was the mayor as was known and i was in as uh look in my first term uh, as Cahir look uh, in the last year in 2018 yeah. uh, before the second election that I contested in the local elections in 2019. Yeah. So it was you know, a huge honour uh, indeed myself as well to be Cahir look of the county. I suppose it gave me a good education, a good understanding of you know, when you're up at the top of it, you see how democracy works and mm. how maybe how it doesn't work on many occasions. But Joe, it really it was it was it was an honour, you know, to bestow to very few people. So I was delighted to, uh, to get that uh, visit many places. As here, look, we've done it well, delegation over to China, and uh, obviously do your your visit to New York, to the Roscommon Association dinner dance and the parade. So. Do you know, it was, it was a huge honour to, to, to represent the county in them places. Yeah. What did you enjoy about the role? Um, enjoyed, I suppose, very, when you, you get funding for a local organisation or a group that are, are that deserve it, you know, yeah. and, you know, to, to assist them in, in the process and maybe to advise them along the way as to, ap- to applications and funding streams that would become available. And working, I suppose, with individual people, fill, you might be filling out forms for them and, well, I suppose the main primary function of a of a county councillor, you know, is to keep the um, the executive, you know, on tow to ensure that the finances and the monies that's been correctly. But I suppose I as as when I evolved up to the position of Cahir look, you see all the decision making processes, and you have to strike a balance. Really, when you're independent in the chair, you know, you have to look at your executive one side, and you have the councillors asking the questions. And obviously you have to get answers and you have to move on to the next item on the agenda as well. You have to keep it flowing, you know, and that's a challenging way as well. But you really, you see the system in earnest, you know, and 
yeah. it really educated me and looking back on it uh, I probably should not have contested the local elections in 2019 <laughs> such was my disillusionment at the time but I was influenced because uh, I said in uh, late 2018 I wasn't contesting the next election and no one in the local community stood up I asked many people would they contest and would support them and uh, no one in, in the local area uh, expressed any interest in contesting in the in the Atlone electoral area in the northern end of it. So many people came to me and says, look, will you reconsider? And I've done that. I reconsider because no one put their name forward. And uh, in really, in hindsight, I probably shouldn't have. I should have. Someone would have came if I left it to the last minute. Uh, but I've done that because I wanted to get, get the community uh, to ensure that they're represented. And I suppose mm. my decision earlier this year mightn't have... Uh, been liked by many people and many others maybe have thought that I'd aspire and be a general election candidate in the future to represent the county but you know maybe Covid opened up my eyes as well and uh, for once I said I, I'll put myself first and uh, really attending council meetings and seeing where things that should be done that weren't and maybe different personalities clashes between executive and myself and maybe other yeah. councillors uh, you know they have their own, their own opinions as well and you know I respect them the executive job to do and I respect people that are in public life but I said uh, I'd concentrate on my business and concentrate on many other items I'm getting married next year as well so we've done a lot of things as uh, I've done a lot of things since I left politics but really I'm enjoying uh, being back in the business mm-hmm. uh, full time myself and uh, being out meeting the people that are buying and selling I was I had a staff member uh, working uh, but in, in sales uh, so they have now finished up with the business and I find that the business has grown even better that I'm there myself mm-hmm. and that's what I want to continue to do. Yeah. When you say that you, uh, as Coherlock, you had the executive on one side of you and you had the councillors on the other side of you and you're trying to strike that balance, that sounds like a very um, uncomfortable position to be in. <laughs> you're Basically, you're the barrier between the two, trying to amalgamate the two together. And that sounds like that wouldn't be the smoothest of processes. Yeah, you'd be drained after meetings, but yeah. I actually enjoyed it for the, the the term I was there. You know, you're mm-hmm. like a mediator in between, and you know the councillors are asking questions. It was some difficult days, but many uh, times, you know, a lot of stuff goes free flowing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's formalities really, and you know the the role of a county councillor really has been diminished uh, in local government over the last number of of say the last decade really and you know the less powers there and the the processes that were there in my own father's time has, has changed and that's something really I suppose that made me disillusioned but you're right you have to strike a, a balance in somewhat you are in the chair you are there as a county councillor you're there to chair the meetings and uh, you know like the executive there's only so long you can remain there's only so long that a, a meeting you know that you'd expect people to remain at a meeting so yeah. really what I noticed uh, at meetings, as you had with low, particularly with county councillors, if the media were present, uh, the meetings went on longer because they all wanted to get the headlines on the newspaper, <laughs> and you know, and they'd put some executive, some of them, not all the councillors, some councillors would put the executive to the pin of the collar, you know, of something that they could have asked them before the meeting, and that would frustrate me, you know, that you'd ask an executive something uh, that could have been asked before the meeting and an answer got. Uh, but they didn't give the executive that opportunity, you know, try and put them in the spot, particularly when it came to the AOB, which was at the end of a meeting. But it was, it was, it was, it was an education, it'll, I have to say, that it will stand to me, uh, with particularly in my own business as well, because you're dealing with public and you're dealing with people and you're trying to 
get deals across the line and trying to get balances and trying to get you know things moved on particularly with sales and that so mm-hmm. you know that's but it's part and parcel with life and people with family with homes and with you know it, it, it's it's all about structure and it's all about you know having a, a balance and that's really you have to bit of compromise as well yeah in, in all parts of the life yeah Ivan when COVID hit did it make you reevaluate the future of Connaught and auctioneering uh, you did yeah yeah I was in an office uh, on my own uh, with the staff working from home for a, a long period of time reevaluated myself as well you know as to where my input or where I should be in the business maybe it influenced my decision as well somewhat uh, with my frustration in politics you know to make the mind up to leave politics and to concentrate fully on, on the business but yeah it definitely did I think it, it, it opened up people's minds you know you'd be working maybe 14, 15, 16 hours someday you're saying to yourself well you could you the, the perfect balance in life as many say is 8 hours at work 8 hours downtime and 8 hours sleep you yeah. might be saying if you could even reduce that to 10 or 11 hours work yeah. you'd be happy with it but there'll be times of the year where that's not possible, but reevaluate where you are and maybe what items of work that is important that you do yourself and what items you can delegate out uh, mm-hmm. to other members of staff. That's something really that I've seen myself when I was in the political scene and I was in the business as well. You could be at meetings all day and you have to come back and do a day's work in auctioneering in the evening, which wasn't easy. Mm-hmm. And you're not going to really do it at six or seven o'clock when the meeting is over. You reevaluate where you are, and I think everyone has reevaluated where they are, uh, and maybe that's why it's employers are finding it very hard to get staff, and yeah. for in, particularly in different fields, people are saying to themselves, "Do you know I'm working and I'm paying, I'm working overtime and I'm, I'm paying a lot in tax. Maybe I'm better off, and if children at home, I'm paying someone to mind them, you know." And people <laughs> say, "Maybe I'm better off working less, spending more time that I'm not paying that person to do that. I'm not really financially worse off." And I'm in a better space, you know, headspace and better place, more time to go out for recreation and that. I found that myself. Yeah. And I find then you're better if you're in a better frame of mind when you enter the office the next day and yeah. you're saying, I'm here for 10 hours. You'll get more done if you're more focused. So I think I definitely reevaluate where Connors and Action Years was. And it's amazing. We have grown. The business has even grown. Like I say, many, every business is busy at the moment. But what I'm looking at now really is saying to myself, when there is a down in this not going to remain forever, what decisions have I to make to ensure, you know, that sustainable? Because mm-hmm. I learned in 2007 when I opened in 2008, you know, when the huge change in the economy it hit overnight, I've seen a huge change and I've learned from that. It's definitely not going to happen a second time. Yeah. Ivan, what's the best piece of business advice you got given? Um, I suppose... We're going back to 2008 and when the whole um, thing went to the whole economy and particularly the property market and I was auctioneer and set out on my own in 07. Uh, one lady uh, out the road said to me, don't panic, uh, no one ever died of the hunger and I don't think anyone ever did die of the hunger. So I, I always remember that yeah. and I told many people that mightn't be in a very good place uh, financially as you'd meet many in, in, in the game that I'm in. Let people build their ears of mortgages or people going through, you know, family issues or breakups or that and there's a property there and they're just maybe hitting hard times. Yeah. You know, there's always be someone that there that'll look out for you. So I'll never forgot that uh, wording anyway. And another guy said to me, um, he said to me, is, is if things, if you find things are hard and you see a downturn coming again, you know, just get up an hour earlier in the morning and just work a bit harder. So, yeah. Okay, that's all we have time for in the show today. I'd like to thank our guest, Ivan Connaughton, for taking part. Margaret McHugh, 
the producer, and Louis Fargo, our researcher. Join me next Thursday from 5pm to 6pm for more of the business show. Revolution Laundry, the self-service 18kg Revolution Laundry machine can wash and dry your bedding, curtains, outdoor furniture, throws, car covers or mats for as little as 10 euro. We are located all across Ireland in mainly large supermarkets and forecourts. Find your nearest Revolution Laundry machine on our website www.revolutionlaundry.ie Don't miss out on our Facebook giveaway to win a week worth of free washing. Revolution Laundry is partnered with Tesco, Circle K, Supervalue, Apple Green and independent sites. Our machines are for domestic use only. Hi, Jim McCausland here, presenter of the Business R Show on Ross FM. Just dropping by to let you know the Business R Show airs every Thursday from 5pm to 6pm on Ross FM 94.6. To listen in, visit rossfm.ie forward slash live or download my weekly podcast from anchor.fm forward slash the Business R Show. Text your questions and comments to 083 8599748 or info at rossfm.ie The Business R Show, supporting local and international business through local radio.